we are wrapping up a four-week series um, in which we've been preaching through and talking through a series called Sowing the Seeds of Faith. New City, this church, is in a very unique moment, a moment in which we are looking at new and exciting vision, mission, our value statement, those things are coming together. It really is a season of a restart. And we've been talking through this idea of what does it look like for God to sow seeds of faith in our lives individually, for our lives together as a church and in the communities that we serve. And so today we're going to jump into a little bit kind of the conclusion of this message. And what I'm calling this message is really a bridge message to next week, the first Sunday in Lent, in which we will start a brand new series that will actually go on for quite a long time called This Is Us. It's where we're going to be talking through the biblical lens of what it means to be called as the body of Christ, especially to one another and to those in our communities. It's a good series called This Is Us. And we'll be in that probably for a very long time off and on as we preach through our vision and mission document and those values that we have. So would you pray with me? And then we'll jump into today's message. God, thank you so much for uh, this community. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, the way that you love each and every one of us. And Everyone is, every one of us in this place today comes with um, different narratives, different stories, different histories, different pieces of baggage that we might carry. We come with different pains and different hurts, and we come with different wounds, Lord, that we lay at your feet in this moment. But we also come with different moments of celebration, things that we love about what you've done in our lives or the blessings that we get to experience. And I just pray, God, that no matter where we're at today, no matter what our story is, that, Father, you would meet us here, that we would sense your Spirit working in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, that we would see the fruit of your Spirit around us, and that in this place we would let your Word instruct our lives and instruct our minds and call us to something greater than just living for ourselves. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the glory. I just want to get out of the way of your Spirit's instruction, and we ask that you would be a part of this today. Pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. So like I said, this past week, I had the opportunity to be in Orlando, Florida, as I jokingly said to Dan and Karen, suffering for Jesus in 85 degree sunny weather while you were mostly all here in Minnesota, suffering for Jesus in the true cold. Um, it wasn't a vacation. Okay, I just want to go on record as telling you it wasn't a vacation. In fact, I would say it was more like torture because I was in a place where it was so beautiful and yet I was inside almost the entire time. I serve on the board of trustees for Alaska Christian College, which I've mentioned to you before. I love serving on this board because I love the mission of Alaska Christian College. And there were several board members and myself that traveled to Orlando for a conference on how to be a better board. It was all about board governance, which is absolutely riveting, right? Like these are things that you can't wait to be a part of. So there I am, dressed all up in business casual kind of outfits, looking out the windows of my hotel room to this beautiful pool, all these people enjoying the 85 degree weather. That is where I wanted to be, not going to some air-conditioned, closed, dark room with no windows where you're talking about how does Robert Rule of Order you know, impact your life. Um, it was really interesting. But one of the cool things that we did was every night, we were only there a couple of nights, but every night we went out to dinner and dessert somewhere close to the Disney 
kind of mega kingdom down there, right? And if you've ever been, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the president of Alaska Christian College is a dear friend of mine, a guy named Keith Hamilton. I'd love for you to meet him someday. Keith knows Disney so well. In fact, I think he and his wife, Debbie, when they took a sabbatical many years ago, they actually stayed in this location. They know everything about Disney. And so they know everywhere to go. They know all the spots. They know all the angles, the places to get the most out of it for the least amount of money. And so he would take us to these incredible dinner spots that were outside the park, these dessert places. And we got to get our steps in in the night, right? Like walking around the outside of the theme park. Now, I need to stop this story for a minute and confess to you something that I know my mom is going to have a hard time with. I am not a Disney person. Don't judge me too hard. It's just not who I am. I'm not really a Disney person. And I can't exactly tell you why. Maybe it's the heat of Florida, right? Like it's hot there in the summer. A little too hot for a Minnesota-born person, right? Maybe it's the perceived long lines. You have to wait for everything in the theme park. At least that's how I imagine it, okay? Maybe it's the expense of actually trying to get into the theme park. But for whatever reason, I'm just not drawn to it. And I think my kids are actually really bummed out about that fact because that's not really a vacation that we've ever taken. I'm just not a Disney person. But I will admit this to you that I've had a little bit of a revival in my life. After being there last week, I became a little bit enamored and encouraged by how very cool the Disney experience kind of is from the outside looking in. Now, if you've never been to Disney, and I'm sure most of you have, let me explain one detail that I think links to what I want to preach on today. This, um, the Disney area is, of course, all the Disney parks put into one. And if you purchase this very expensive ticket, you can get in to participate in all the wonderful dynamics about Disney. There's rides and inside the park is where the real magic happens, right? But there's also a ton to do outside of the theme parks. There's a ton to do outside in the free areas of the park. And this is where we walked around after dinner each night. These were the areas where we spent our time, the free areas. And in the free areas, it's where all the transportation is located, okay? You could take the tour buses, right? You can ride every one of like the the boats, the big ferry. We rode on the big ferry. We took the little shuttle boat. We even got on one of the pontoons. You can do the gondolas that give you a beautiful perspective of the whole park. And then of course is the classic historic monorail where when you ride the monorail, it literally takes you over the top of the entire Disney megapolis or whatever you want to call it, right? And you get to see such things from a distance like the Cinderella Castle, the historic Cinderella Castle, the Epcot Globe. You get a very unique bird's eye view of Space Mountain and so many many more things. It's amazing to see, but you are from a distance. You can see where I'm going to go with this in a minute. You're from a distance. You're experiencing the Magic Kingdom from a distance. Now, Disney purists okay, whoever you are in the room, you would tell me this one fact. You cannot experience the magic of Magic Kingdom unless you get into the park, right? You may have experienced something very cool from the monorail, like maybe even the fireworks look great, but the fireworks look amazing when you're inside the park. When you're actually standing next to the castle, when you're face-to-face with Mickey Mouse, that's when you start to begin to experience the magic of Disney, 
And it's interesting to me, as I experienced this kind of last week, this revival of a love for Disney, I wondered, why am I not so much a Disney guy? Now, we went to Disney. We vacationed as a family when I was a kid. Sixth grade, 1986. And I remember that experience with fondness, right? But there's also the memory of all those things that I mentioned before, the heat, the lines, the exhaustion of being there. And I just wonder, when I was in sixth grade, if there were barriers that I inherited when I was a kid or younger that sort of grew into a different narrative as I got older. And it just never has been something that I was excited to do. And what I experienced last week was a fresh perspective on the Disney empire. And I jokingly said to one of the board members that was with me, what an interesting sermon illustration this would be. And so here it is. There's baggage that I carry with Disney. And it's caused me to not want to go as an adult, right? The reality is this. There are a whole lot of people in the world who, when they think about God, when they think about Jesus, and especially when they think about the church, they immediately encounter barriers that they have built up over time, obstacles. These are the things that kept them from really giving church, or more importantly, Jesus, a try. And we all know this too well. There are people in our lives, friends and families, neighbors, co-workers, maybe people that we know grew up in the church, but for whatever reason, had a bad experience, had a, had a painful relationship with somebody in the church, and, and, and now they've rarely been back, and they haven't given any space to Christ. Or maybe there was preconceived ideas about the church, or assumptions, which assumptions are tough to do generalizations that people can't get over connected to the body of Christ. Maybe they're political assumptions. Maybe there's competing values. Who knows what it is, but they love to stay on the monorail and hold the church at a distance. Similar to sitting on that monorail high above the actual magic kingdom, how many people never get to see face-to-face what it's like to experience the power of the living Christ, of experiencing the breathless wonder of grace and forgiveness in the name of Jesus, of being transformed by the love of God, of seeing indescribable healing in relationships, radical generosity. And what about the hope for eternity? How many get to experience a compassionate, a compassionate narrative around issues of mercy and justice that stems from, a God, from God's love for humanity and not a political affiliation. We know that the church is full of humans and humans are broken and the church has had their fair shares of failures over the years. But there's another side of that. There's a side where the church, that is the body of Christ, is so for one another that the support and the encouragement and the service towards each other is life changing, and dare I use the word contagious. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus when people come together to follow Christ. The point I'm trying to make is that we live in a world where barriers exist between people and God and the church. And because of this, those dear people in our lives, they hold God and Jesus at an arm's length away. And the church has an opportunity to think about such things 
and wrestle with our calling when it comes to caring for this broken part of our world. Now, our scripture today is an interesting one because it tells the story of a group of what scripture says was four men who cared deeply for this paralyzed man. We don't know their connection. We don't know if they're brothers or family members or whatever it was. All we know is that these four men cared deeply for this man who was paralyzed. So much so that apparently when they heard that there was this rabbi, this Jesus, this potential savior of the people who was healing people, they did everything they could to bring him to Christ. And as you heard in the story, the main barrier that they experienced was that they just couldn't get Jesus close. They came to the house where Jesus was teaching and there were so many people that it was packed so much that they couldn't get this man close to Christ. It's interesting to me that this scene must have been a bit crazy and chaotic. I mean, think about that. It must have been like, I don't know, what's the most chaotic thing you can imagine around a person? And in that moment, they couldn't get this paralyzed man, this man who possibly could have been healed by Jesus, they couldn't get him to Christ. So what did they do? They arrive at this house and they had a choice to make. And frankly, the easier choice probably would have been to turn away. Maybe they were even told to turn away. Like there's other people here who want to be healed. You're get in line, right? The easier choice might have been to turn away. Well, we tried. Let's just keep living and loving our friend as he is paralyzed and we'll get him home. But they chose the opposite of that. They chose the harder way. They chose the way that had to get their friend to Christ. They must figure out how to get him close to Jesus. Now, I want to use a word here, and I want to be very careful with this word because I don't want to send you the message that the point of this sermon is about this word. The point of this sermon is about the work that Jesus does, period. But the word I want to use is something that I think we ought to think about, particularly when it comes to the world we live in and the, the divide in the world that we live in, okay? And it's the word innovation. Everybody say innovation with me. I want to make sure you're not sleeping. Innovation, that's right, okay? It's an urgent challenge for us to consider, and it's the word innovation. Um, these four friends, or whoever they were to the paralyzed man, they had to devise a creative and dare I say, innovative way for their friend to get closer to Christ. They were so innovative that they literally cut a hole in the ceiling to lower him down. All the while, while Jesus was teaching, just so the friend could get close. So I just think this story is a little insane, right? Who would do that? Who would cut a hole in the ceiling? Who would be so determined that they would do something that was certainly perceived by many as an insane thing to do? Who owned the house? that this would allow it to happen, right? But their unwillingness to let whatever barriers they were facing to stop them from their ultimate mission is the point. They didn't have much to work with, but they used what they had to help their friend get close to Jesus. And frankly, the miraculous happened because of their faith. Jesus noticed the faith of the four men and that's when he proclaimed that the man's sins were forgiven. And then he debated with some Pharisees about something. And he said, fine, pick up your mat and walk. All because these four men had an incredible faith. The miraculous happened. Now, I want to suggest to you today that in the world we live in, in today's day and age, there is a calling God has on us individually and as a church to with humility 
a very important term. Be innovative in how we reach out to our friends and family, to our friends in our community, to our coworkers, to our neighbors. God may be calling us to consider where we need to do something unique, something special, something outside the box, something even drastic, just to help those in our lives find and follow Jesus, to help people experience that beauty of being face-to-face with God. Now, I listened to a leadership podcast by a well-known pastor named Craig Rochelle, and he talks about this story related to innovation. And he provides actually an equation, which I love equations when it comes to spirituality. I've talked about that before this past fall. But he uses an equation um, to talk about uh, what it looks like to be innovative in the church. And I think there's some crossover for us here at New City. And he talks about how there's three components to that equation. I'd like to call them three ingredients, if you will. There's three ingredients that are needed for us to get to a place where we see exponential innovation in sowing the seeds of faith. Okay, the first one is this, limited resources. Everybody say limited resources. These guys had a friend who was a paralytic. They could have generated so many excuses, right? They could have got up to the house and they said, hey, we don't even know that we can get our friend to Jesus. We don't have the transportation. Their friend was heavy, right? They had to find an apparatus to carry him. They had no idea idea once they got to Jesus if Jesus would even heal their friend. Then when they got to the house, they had all sorts of trouble. They could have made so many excuses, all right? And in the church world, we love to give reasons all the time of why we don't follow and answer the call of God in our lives. We love to make excuses. I am guilty of this. So this is not me pointing a finger at anybody. But we love to make excuses about why, you know, God can't use me. Maybe we make an excuse about, well, I just don't have a great relationship with my neighbor. Or maybe we had some sort of conflict and I'm not really willing to make that right. Or maybe we make an excuse about a family member or somebody we work with. Or there's some barrier that we make an excuse and it keeps us from sharing the love of Christ with this person. Maybe as a church, we make excuses. Maybe we talk about location as an issue or our building as an issue. Or maybe we don't have enough staff to get after a certain ministry initiative. We love to make excuses related to budget. We love to make excuses. And here is the point. Excuses limit our mindset. When we have limited resources, we often think we can't do something because we don't have the resources. But a change needs to occur in our minds. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who has vast amount of resources, more than we could ever dream up or imagine. Scripture tells us that we have everything we need to reach everyone in the name of Christ in the world. We are called to stop making excuses that we can't do something because we don't have the resources. Limited resources are not a hindrance to God. I'm going to say it again because that ought to elicit an amen from somebody. Limited resources are not a hindrance to God. Amen. Limited resources are often a catalyst for what he's about to do. Don't make excuses because of your limitations. In fact, embrace them as a gift from God. This is the perspective shift that we ought to make, the paradigm shift that I'm calling us to. 
We never can say we can't because we don't have enough. We are called to say we can because we don't have enough. The first ingredient, the first component to seeing exponential innovation in sowing the seeds of faith is engaging our limited resources. The second is a fun one, and it's a willingness to fail. It's a willingness to fail. Too many people think that failing is somehow linked to missing God. I failed, so I must have missed it. But there's a perspective shift, a paradigm shift, and it is this. Failure is oftentimes the first step to actually finding God. It's actually the first step to finding God. You've heard people say throughout culture, history, business, sports, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. But I would say a better mindset is failure is a necessity. The fear of failure, think about this for a minute. The fear of failure drives us to stop taking risks. If you aren't taking any risks, you're no longer living and leading by faith. Being someone who takes, takes risks is a part of living for Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There is a blessing that comes by living and leading by faith. And so in that way, failure can be a gift. Our failure can show us what works and what doesn't work. Think about Peter in the New Testament. You've all heard about Peter, one of the disciples, one of the people that followed Jesus, who loved Jesus. And when Jesus was arrested and Peter was in the town square, what happened when Peter was confronted? He denied Jesus three times. They said, weren't, didn't we see you with Jesus? Weren't you with him? You were one of his disciples, weren't you? And every time he said, I don't know him. I do not. I'm not with him. I don't even know what you're talking about. Three times he denied Jesus. And you've heard the story. The rooster crowed. And it was this incredible moment of failure. Failure defined Peter's life at one point. But Peter was reconciled to God. He took that failure and he was invited to speak on the day of Pentecost, which is a really big deal. And in fact, there was a small thing that God used Peter to do was to build the church. Peter failed, but God still used him. A failure, it's an event. It's a moment. It is never a person. You might be in a season where you felt like you failed. Maybe in your faith, maybe in your life. Who knows what it is? Maybe you will be in the future in a season where you feel like you failed. But it is a moment that is preparing you for the next season. If you take a risk for God and it doesn't work out, you might feel as if you were a failure. But you cannot take it personally, especially when it comes to God-sized effort. Don't blame yourself. Because the tendency here is this. I want you to hear this. If you blame yourself for taking a risk and it didn't work out, when it doesn't work out, if you blame yourself when it doesn't work out, then you will also have a tendency to take credit for when it does. And when it comes to God's economy, and when it comes to spiritual matters, we give glory to God in this place. That's what we're called to do. So we don't take credit for when someone says, I'm going to live my life for Christ. We don't take credit for when a baptism happens. We give glory to God. If you take credit for the failure you're going to have a tendency to take credit for the success and we give it to God. If you aren't failing now and then in your life, you're probably playing it too safe. Without faith, 
it's impossible to please God. We are engaging our limited resources. We are leaning into a willingness to fail. And finally, the third ingredient, the third component to the equation is we are called to have an increasing passion. An increasing passion. Increasing passion where our lives are actually growing in faith of expecting God to work around us. Expecting God to change not only our lives, but the lives of the people around us. And we don't do this with any sort of um, looking down on someone. We are not the judge of anybody's life. We are called to live humbly for our Lord and expect God to move. We increase our passion. And here's maybe the difference. There's a big difference between wanting to do something and having to do something. For example, we want to reach people for Christ. That's right. But when we talk about an increasing passion, it's not just that we want to reach people for Jesus. It's that we have to reach people for Jesus. There's an urgency behind it. It's not that we just want to reach the next generation. One of our value statements in our new mission, vision, and value document is that we want to raise up a generation to follow Jesus. It's not that we just want to. It's that we have to because of the calling of Christ on our lives. I worked at a church in the Denver area for a number of years, back in the 90s. I was an intern, okay? $500 a month. It was a great job. And the youth pastor that worked there, he came under fire from the church one time because he wrote this vision statement that people had a really hard time with. He said something like, I'm going to paraphrase it and probably mess it up as a long time ago. He said something like, our vision is to raise up a generation that is ruined for Jesus Christ. The word ruin is where people got tripped up on, right? Like they just couldn't, what, ruin is like a destructive term. Like it feels negative. Like why are you saying that about our teenagers? And he's like, listen, we want to raise up a generation of Jesus followers who are so sold out to Christ, whose lives have been transformed by Jesus, that they are ruined to the world. That there's nothing in this world that could, that could ever fill their lives like Christ would. That it's only Jesus that can fill their hearts. And some of the parents still couldn't get it, right? Because it's such an extreme word. But it's, what's behind that, I love this, is that it goes from we want to, it's an increasing passion moment. It's not just that we want to see people find and follow Jesus. It's that, friends, we are called to. We must help people find and follow Jesus. These four men with this paralyzed man literally cut a hole in somebody's roof. They, they took, I don't even know how they did it. They took away whatever it was the roof was comprised of. It was so crowded, nobody could get in, and Jesus was teaching. I'm trying to understand, how is it that there wasn't some compassion outside the doors of, the, of that house? How is it that there was nobody out there that said, hey, there's a paralyzed man here. We need, make, make way, make an aisle. And I wonder, what, what, what was the narrative around that story? I have no idea. Was it that there were so many other people around that wanted to be healed too? Or was it that sometimes we get so consumed with our own stuff that we forget to look around at the needs of others around us? It's an indictment on my life. Like I'm so, we're always so busy with our kids. Life is crazy. We're both working, right? We get busy and we stop thinking so much about other people and we only think about ourselves. Sometimes, we have to jar ourselves out of that and look at the needs of others. We have to increase our passion to help people find and follow Jesus. We have to shift our paradigm to help people 
get to Jesus. So I guess the question I have for you today is what paradigm shift do you need to make? We know that limited resources usher in the will of God. A willingness to fail is required for those that follow Christ. And we are called to increase our passion for those that are far from God. When you look throughout church history, and we think about like the world-changing moments in faith, right? These were all related to people who broke paradigms. They were related to people who broke paradigms. Think back to the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther. His biggest number one goal was that every person could read Scripture on their own, that commoner could have a Bible and read it for themselves. He broke a paradigm, right? And the Protestant Reformation happened, and the world has never been the same since. John Wesley. Some of you are very familiar with the story of John Wesley. I'm no expert on John Wesley, but what I understand is that this man wanted to preach the good news of Jesus to all people, not just the religious elite. He said, we need to be out in the streets preaching to the poor, the homeless, the beggar. And the church didn't like it, and they kicked him out. He took his message outside, and a revival happened that changed the narrative. He preached the good news out there. What about Martin Luther King Jr.? who broke down the racial divides in the church with his message, his life, his writings, his example. Billy Graham? Billy Graham launched a movement that was so large that people who were the hardest skeptics against God found themselves saying yes to Jesus. These people broke paradigms. They got outside their comfort zone and they said yes to Jesus. What I love about New City, and we talked about this in our small group on Friday night, is that we're not a traditional church held by traditional constraints. Welcome to New City, where we are a wonderfully, beautifully mixed bag of people who have found their way here to worship God, to challenge one another, to grow with each other as we together look to increase our passion for Jesus. We must not, even in this context of being a church that is unbound by things, we must not lose our focus. We get to share with people in our lives, together as a church and individually, with people all about the Jesus who has changed our lives. We have an incredible opportunity to invite people into the center of who we are. Let's dismantle the outsider mentality and let's invite people into the center of who we are, praying that the Holy Spirit does the work and changes lives. I pray for our church and I pray for you in this moment and with this message that we together joining the Holy Spirit would find innovative ways to help those people around us in our lives experience the unconditional love of God who knows them by name, wants a deep relationship with them, loves them, and sacrifices everything to embrace them. Next week, we'll start talking about tangible ways that maybe we can do this together. And I want to pray that God gives you opportunities even this week to see paradigms broken, things shifted, and that God would use you in your story to help people find and follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how sweet it is. We thank you, God, that your calling to us is beautiful, that it never puts the glory on us, never puts a spotlight on anything that we do, but it always puts a spotlight on you. Thank you, God, that there is no one who's outside the scope of your love. Thank you, God, that there is nobody in this world 
that you don't love and want to have a relationship with. And God, we join together as humanity looking for purpose and belonging and love, looking for something to join that's bigger than just ourselves. I pray, Father, that you would remind us of the calling to love our neighbor, our calling to love one another, all for your glory and the hopes of seeing people find and follow you. God, would you instruct us as a church as we are in this just incredible season of revisioning, of refocusing, of digging deep into the calling that you have in our lives. And I'm so thankful to be here. Would you bless our time downstairs over soul food as we share life together and we have table fellowship and we share the highs and lows of our week and maybe even share some prayer requests, God. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see and hear from you. We pray these things, Lord, with hope and encouragement. We love you, God, and we give you all the glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen and amen.